It's not always easy to find the positive. You might even need to search for happiness. Sometimes, just a little inspiration can make the difference. Here, it comes from unexpected places. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast. Hi, I'm Teresa. And I'm Amy. We are two ordinary moms looking for inspiration wherever we can find it. So, Amy, what was your highlight last week? Well, I think it was going to Vidon Wineries. I, that was fun there. with it was you. Super fun. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you found that place. It was so beautiful. And we got lucky with a nice day, first off. Yeah, for sure. And I, wine country, it's definitely dusty. Yeah, that was a gravel road. <laughs> and you guys just had your car washed. So. And a white car at that. Yeah. Things were all so great, good. And the service was just. Awesome. Yeah. And we met Tiquette. Which was very cool. Which was very cool. More about her story with yeah. that she just fell in love like right away. And types of wine that I'm not familiar with. I know. I learned a lot. Yeah, me too. That was so really I, fun. I totally get why that was your highlight. So remember you have until May 31st to enter to sign up for our drawing. To win Yay, command yeah. of Gorman's The Hill We Climb. Um, anyone who sends us a note at uh, tangentialinspiration at gmail.com or on our Instagram or sends us something on Facebook, just reaches out in any way, shape, or form, <laughs> they will be entered in the contest. And May 31st, we'll pick a name, and then whoever that is, they get the book. Yay. So pretty exciting. It's becoming a fairly common sight around Portland to see tents and other makeshift shelters set up off the freeway where homeless people have set up camp. Think about these people a lot and how cold and wet it must be living that way. I I would not survive. I wouldn't survive a week. I'm glad to see that some of them are actually getting real camping tents because I can't imagine how miserable it must be trying to find a dry spot under a doorway or something else. Notice even at the Beaverton Library, there are people... Like just sleeping under the awning out burbs totally. Right, it's right. just it's a real problem. We're doing our sack lunch thing on May 30th to help out. And if anybody wants more information, they can check out our website, tangentialinspiration.com. We're passing out meals. And granted, it only helps in the short term, but I truly think that there needs to be more solutions to help homeless people off the street, including housing vouchers, job training, and mental health outreach. But on the 30th, we're putting together sandwiches, and we need, like, peanut butter, jelly. Chips, cheese, water, water, bottle, granola bars, a piece of fruit. Okay. Yeah, and that's that. we'll be putting those together. So if you want to help, you want to join us in any way, shape, or form, just reach out. But in the meantime, before more stuff um, happens, homeless encampments are going to be found almost in every major city. One of the biggest complaints about these camps is the garbage and mess they inevitably leave. And I... You know, my heart goes out to these people, but right. I do get extremely frustrated with this. So I, I get it. I hear both sides. These camps just don't have proper resources like garbage cans. Yeah, there's or no garbage. Dumpsters. Yeah. yeah and while Oregon has created an incentive to pick up plastic bottles and aluminum cans with their bottle redemption program, other garbage doesn't have anywhere to go. And I definitely have seen this huge problem. This causes an accumulation of garbage that's not only unsightly, but extremely unsanitary. And the homeless people are living in those camps. They don't want garbage there either, but they have few options. 
As the garbage accumulates, so do the complaints from nearby residents, which often leads to camps being shut down and leaving a huge, expensive mess for the city to clean up. Elk Grove, California, which totally reminds me of that Goldie Hawn movie oh. with Kurt Russell. Okay. Where uh, she's... Um, overboard? Yes, overboard. Yeah. yeah. Elk Cove, Oregon, which yeah. is not a real yeah. place, I don't think. But anyway, Elk Grove, California is trying something different and with great success. The city of Elk Grove is just south of Sacramento. They've been trying a program which they believe to be the first in the U.S. where they pay the people in the homeless camp to keep the camp clean. Oh, that's nice. Brilliant. I love it. The homeless clean up their own camps using bags provided by the city, and the city comes by on regular days every two weeks to pick up the garbage. Then the homeless camp residents are paid with $20 gift cards to local stores. Oh, that's great. So homelessness has been on the increase in Elk Grove, largely due to the rising home and rent prices and severe shortage of affordable housing. The city, along with the Elk Grove police, worked with homeless population activists and leaders to come up with a solution that benefits everyone, including the environment. This has been started as a pilot program and may spread to other communities in California, which I certainly hope so. But in Elk Grove, prior to this program, in a given month, the city was fielding numerous calls from the public. An average of 140 calls per month, complaining about encampments, and many, if not most, were about the mess created, which once again, I get. Yeah. Responding to these complaints would require about 18 police encounters with the homeless encampments regarding the mess, and overall, there would be approximately 10 encampment cleanups per month, which is huge and That's expensive. That's a lot of money, yeah. So instead of crews spending hours cleaning up an encampment, the garbage crew pulls up, collects the bags, and distributes the gift cards. The people living in the homeless encampment get cleaner living conditions, and the gift cards help them get essentials like food, clothing, medication, and feminine hygiene products. The cards cannot be used to purchase alcohol or cigarettes, and the city reports they've been mostly used for food and hygiene products. For the city, they get fewer complaints, spend less worker hours cleaning up, and generally have started to have better community relations with the homeless population. Cleanups are expensive. And they're avoiding having to pay crews to come in and spend hours, if not days, doing a cleanup. Also, frequently before a cleanup can happen, the homeless are often driven out of the area, causing them to set up camp somewhere else. Oh, that kind of defeats the just, yeah, yeah, just, just cycle. Just, right. By having the homeless clean up after themselves, the city saves money. The homeless don't have to keep moving. The environment's cleaned up. The neighbors are less offended. And the homeless people are given an additional resource to get things they vitally need. I just love this because they want to do what they can. Right. They just, you know, need a... They don't have resources. They don't. Or, and this yeah. this does give them an opportunity. Elk Grove's homeless outreach officer, Jennifer McHugh, who is in contact with different homeless encampments each day, reports that the people impacted by the program, homeless people, and neighbors are happy with it. The relationships between the police and the homeless population is improving as well. Officer McHugh said in an interview with ABC, We've actually even gotten some people into housing with the relationships we've built with them by going out to their camps every week. Which... Yeah. Great. That's awesome. Elk Grove reports that they're saving money as well, which helps sell this all over. In prior years, cleanup of homeless camps could cost as much as $10,000 a month. The city's now reporting that their annual cost of cleanup of homeless encampments has been under $10,000 for the entire year. Wow, that's huge. So the program was initially funded out of federal COVID funding as a way to reduce contact between city workers and homeless encampments while COVID restrictions were in place. But it's been so successful that El Grove will continue the project out of city funds after COVID. This program's new, only having started in July of 2020. 
So some oh, good things coming out of 2020. I well, I'm, I'm amazed how many neat programs are coming out. I know. Out of COVID. I mean, and even the more though, you look, yeah. the, the more you find. We're making adjustments find. that are really life-changing. Solutions. Yeah. Good solutions. But anyway, it looks promising. This program has drawn the attention from other cities as a way to help address the conditions in homeless encampments and improve relations with surrounding neighborhoods. There needs to be more programs to directly work with the homeless population. Too often, it's seen as a problem that's just shuffled from one neighborhood to the other. Or worse, it's criminalized, and you have people who are homeless who are now being shuffled through the jail and prison systems. What's once again, once again, expensive. Right. And some people just want to go to prison because it is a meal. Right. They're that desperate. Yeah. Until we can address more mental health issues, huge, and create more affordable options for housing, we're going to have homeless populations. We need to address the root cause of homelessness and develop programs to help lift people out of homeless situations by addressing these causes. Programs like this are not going to end homelessness, but they're moving in the right direction, working with homeless people rather than treating them as some sort of disease that needs to be stamped out. I really hope larger cities like Portland take a look at programs like this where everybody can at least have a small win. I think I'll write my city council and make sure they're aware of this program. And if I'm feeling particularly saucy, I might even organize a letter writing campaign. This might be a good thing for June. Oh, a good that might be June. a fun <laughs> thing. Yeah, I like so, it. I think people should feel free to do the same thing in their community. It's constructive to it letter absolutely writing. Is. If you're um, frustrated, write a letter. Yeah, exactly. So I just I love this story. Spreading good. I used to have the biggest crush on Jon Stewart. This podcast has made me realize a lot of things, but it has had me thinking about how many crushes I've had throughout the years. When Trevor Noah... I feel pressure now. (laughs) (laughs) And when Trevor Noah replaced Jon Stewart on The Daily Show, I was so bummed. I love Trevor Noah. Enough that bought his book, went and saw his live show when he came here in Portland. But Jon Stewart just made The Daily Show for me. Between his dry wit, his piercing sarcasm, and self-deprecation, he always made me laugh. And it's so important to have a sense of humor and everything. But he didn't have a lot of swearing or gross humor, although there were times that he was into that. But for the most part, I just loved his clever spin on things. And I'm well aware that he had a huge staff of writers to make The Daily Show happen. But his delivery. Yeah. So anyway, it just always made me smile at the very least and often made me laugh out loud. While I loved Jon Stewart at the desk of The Daily Show, it's what he's done after The Daily Show that has seriously warmed my heart. Have you seen the clip of Jon Stewart going before Congress to convince them to pass legislation to help fund medical expenses for the heroes of September 11th? I just saw that today, and I was just, I was blown away by his passion, I mean, in that, in his speech. And he's like, and his pen. clicking his pen, the clicking pen. his pen, and just like, and tears in his tears. eyes. Yeah. yeah, tears in his eyes, and he's just... So passionate, like I, about those frontline workers. Yeah. And I remember it reminded me of a story I heard on NPR about the the um, firefighters mm-hmm. that were on at Ground Zero initially, and they didn't even know each other, but they'd be throughout different areas. And someone started singing "Onward, Christian Soldiers," Aww. and which just made me cry. Yeah. Just that people that didn't even know each other were just bonded and mm-hmm. singing. And, that just gives me goosebumps and because, it, yeah. so the teacher that I follow, Bob Hammond, on Instagram, he posted a picture on National Firefighters Day of one of the firefighters running up the stairs oh, on 9-11. Yeah. And I always assumed that that firefighter perished, but apparently 
he survived. Oh, so, it, yeah, good part to the story. But those guys and gals, they just... Risked their lives. Yeah. And they didn't even think twice about it. Right. They just were singing or, you know, whatever Getting to go yeah. rescue people. But John Stewart loves New York. Like, he doesn't care about the bitter winters, the noisy streets, and all that. And he loves this country and the ideals we often take for granted in the United States. On his show, he never shied away from hard topics. He always put a light spin on them, but they were tough topics. But until I witnessed him in front of Congress, I, I didn't know this side of John Stewart. He was just such an advocate. He stepped in and was fighting for those heroes of 9-11. And he's continued to fight for years to get them the medical care they've required. And that was this. 2018, which I was blown away that that was so many years after. After the fact. Well, and the thing is, so he did, I mean, he had them on the show. I mean, he befriended people and he's been an advocate from the get-go. Right. We'll get okay. there. We'll get there. Okay. But Sorry. Yeah. So the towers fell, obviously, on September 11, 2001. Thousands of first responders were exposed to a number of carcinogens and other toxins as they dug through the rubble. And I know everyone remembers where they were on 9-11, but I remember after the days following, just praying and hoping and crossing my fingers and sending, you know, all this energy every day that they would uncover just a pocket of survivors. Right. Yeah, I know. And just hoping that someone was under there. And as they tirelessly did the job they committed to, I can't imagine the fatigue and emotions. Right. The mental. These men and women faced at the time. As the days dragged out, we know hope started to fade for any survivors. But the first responders were selflessly holding on to hope and doing everything they could to find any survivors. This time, breathing those carcinogens and other toxins took its toll. So on 9-11, we had close to 3,000 people die, 3,000 Americans, 2,977 died that horrific day. But thousands more would die from health issues directly related to September 11th. Asbestos, lead, dioxins, and benzene toll on the men and women who were to save the injured that day and in the days that followed, as well as trying to clean up the mess. The police officers, firefighters, and hospital personnel sent a clear message to the cowardly terrorists with their response and reminded Americans why this country is so amazing. But with those carcinogens, it can take years for the effects to become evident. And sadly, as of September 2018, 10,000 people had been diagnosed with cancers related to the attack. 2,000 had died from related illnesses, approaching the number of fatalities that resulted from that day, according to Mount Sinai researchers. I read one study that followed first responders, construction workers, and communication employees that were repairing communication sites. And compared to the general group, these people had significantly higher rates of prostate and thyroid cancers, as well as leukemia. So there had been a fund in place for the heroes of September 11th as they needed additional medical care, but the funding was coming to an end and the government appeared to be doing very little to remedy the situation. That's when John Stewart became my hero. Not only had you know had people on his show to educate the public of the need to take care of these heroes, but he encouraged others to help make it right. Congress created September 11th Victim Compensation Fund in 2001. It was to provide money for the families of people who died or were injured as a result of the terrorist attack. But that fund ended in 2004, as planned. I mean, they they knew it was going to end. Yeah. But then in 2010, lawmakers pushed to reauthorize it and broaden the scope. 
So with the new plan, it would provide medical care and financial aid to emergency personnel, volunteers, and survivors who inhaled the toxic smoke and dust in the aftermath. So fast forward to December 2020, and the Justice Department said the fund was quickly being depleted and they would likely not have enough money to pay the pending and expected claims. In other words, they'd be asking the first responders who risked their lives. Right, who volunteered. To take a 30% benefit reduction, leaving them unable to pay for all of their care. So in that speech that John Stewart gave, I I loved the part where he was like, five seconds, these men and women were out there saving you in five seconds. They didn't even think about it. They just responded. And yet Congress was not able... And they weren't all present, it sounded like. Oh, my gosh. It was a a poor showing, it sounded like. John Stewart was outraged, and he started this media blitz. At a hearing at the Judiciary Committee's Subcommittee on Constitution, Civil Rights, and Civil Liberties, he urged lawmakers to pass a bill that would allow the fund to pay benefits for the next 70 years. Because a lot of these conditions, didn't you didn't see them until years right. later. Right. So for anybody that hasn't watched this, you need to go see it. He said, why this bill is, is not a unanimous consent is beyond my comprehension. He was clearly upset with the turnout for his Mm -hmm. plea, and he was disgusted with the poor attendance from our government officials and noted that many of the sick emergency personnel that traveled to Washington during this and their families, they'd travel so far for this plea only to find nearly empty congressional hearing. Behind me, a filled room of 9-11 first responders, and in front of me, a nearly empty Congress. Sick and dying, they brought themselves down here to speak to no one. Shameful. It's an embarrassment to the country and it is a stain on this institution. And you should be ashamed of yourselves for those that aren't here, but you won't be. His speech was emotional, heartfelt, and a stark contrast to his usual bits on The Daily Show. And I'm sorry if I sound angry and undiplomatic, but I'm angry, and you should be too, and they're all angry as well, and they have every justification to be that way. There is not a person here, there is not an empty chair on that stage that didn't tweet out, never forget the heroes of 9-11, Never forget their bravery. Never forget what they did, what they gave to this country. Well, here they are. This hearing should be flipped. These men and women should be up on that stage, and Congress should be down here answering their questions. The Never Forget the Heroes Act was all about fulfilling our country's promise to never forget. John Stewart helped get that funding for those heroic men and women through 2090. So uh, another example. Of how one person doing the right thing and standing their ground, that's how change happens. So I admire John Stewart for his wit and comedic talent, of course, but also his his perseverance and just dedication. It inspires me. Can't be funny like John Stewart, but I can most certainly listen to my heart and do the right thing, even if it's not the most popular thing. And I really like John Stewart. 
but he wouldn't be who he is without the love of his life. Aww. Tracy McShane, who now is Tracy Stewart. I consider them a power couple in the animal world. Tracy almost didn't show up, I guess, to their first date. Aww. It was a blind date for yeah. both of them. And she had been in a bad relationship before and kind of was turned off to relationships in general. But she had worked as a designer. and She was quite successful, but she wasn't passionate about her work. She grew up wanting to be a vet, but her second grade teacher had made her feel like she couldn't do the necessary math oh, to get through. That's discouraging. I mean, so sadly, yeah, young Tracy listened to this, and it's just frustrating, but a good reminder for our educators to choose your words wisely right. because she totally changed her career. I mean, yeah. she was passionate about helping animals, but she didn't think she was smart enough to go do that. So, not only did John Stewart sweep her off her feet and propose with a crossword puzzle. Oh, cute. Like the guy at the New York Times helped him do this crossword puzzle. He also encouraged her to fulfill her dreams of working with animals. So, once he went to the Daily Show, she decided to go back to school and become a vet tech. Then she excelled in math because it was related to something she was passionate about. After reading her book, Do Unto Animals, oh my gosh, this I book. Star- I love, love. the drawings. So it's got cover. drawings, it's got like cats, dogs, it's got cows, it's like how to take care of bugs, and you know, everything from, yeah, just everything in here, the whole circle of life, and I love she has a whole thing here on pit bulls, and she points out that they are... They're shelter animals with a very bad rap. She said in the 1980s, pit bulls became the dog of choice of drug dealers, dog fighters, and gangs. These people raise dogs in a deplorable condition and purposefully incite fear and aggression in them for their own deviant behavior. The result has been unspeakable injury, suffering, and cruelty for canines and humans. One of the dogs in here, they like cut the ears. Like, yeah, the things that some humans do to animals is just crazy, but... She just pointed out how sweet these dogs are, but they just have been given a bad reputation because right. of their humans. Right, how they've been which treated. Yeah. I think is very telling. But anyway, after re- after reading her book, I'm a bigger fan, believe it or not, yeah. of Mrs. Stewart than her husband now. This woman has a heart for animals, which of course I admire, but she's doing her part to educate people on the mistreatment of animals and ways to get involved. She genuinely believes every animal deserves a chance and a good life, and all animals should be respected. I mean, like I said, it's the whole circle of life. She has a page in the back that has different sanctuaries and different ways to just help and and it get involved. It's really informative. I mean, and the illustrations, it has stuff on how to make like dog treats, cat nip and little cat toys just all sorts of anything related to animals it's just it's fun and when you have jane goodall endorsing it on the back you know it's a good good book anyway the illustrations in the book are beautiful and i love her stories she's in no way shape or form judgmental she's a vegan and i guess she's turned john stewart into a vegan but i can see why john stewart says she's the most compassionate person he knows. She talks about finding a dead starling one day when she was with her family. They were on this carpet buying trip, and it must have been just torture. (laughs) So she was outside playing in the yard. She said it was before parents were scared, probably when we were growing up. But she named the bird Sparkle. She found this dead bird, and she was planning to give it a proper funeral. But the family was in a hurry to get back home. And when her dad came out and found her, he was, you know, we got to go. We got to go. And she started crying. And she, you know, said the bird needed a funeral. And 
And the dad, I just really admire that he went back into the store. He got a box. He came out. He put Sparkles the bird into the box. They took him home, and they gave it a proper funeral. So good lesson for me that, you know, we've all been been that busy parent that it's really easy to... It's just a dead animal. The animal's not going to know that just you left on. it there. Yeah, we're in a hurry. Right. But instead, he listened to his daughter's heart, and I think he encouraged her to be the compassionate young lady that, that she is. So Tracy was successful in graphic design, and while she saw success there, it was not a fulfilling career. She had a boyfriend in the book that she named Jack Ash, A-S-H, oh. which I love. And like I said, they dated for about seven years. And he was awful to her. He had an Ivy League education, and he'd constantly correct her. Oh. He would, like, with her grammar. That's demeaning. He would, yeah, yeah. Just, and I guess he would say he thought that the space between her upper lip and the bottom of her nose was too long. Oh. I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm, what the super heck? critical. Yeah, I'm like... This guy sounds Good like thing a she real winner. But she, who knows if she would have. She yeah. stayed with him like seven years. And the thing that ended up making her break up with him was her rescue dog, Enzo. Oh. So one day he left the door open. She had this rescue dog that she had finally gotten in. He left the door open. And thank goodness Enzo wasn't hit by a car or anything. But it was finally the deciding factor for right. her to call it quits. And it just is sad to me that she didn't think highly enough of herself to drop this guy but I, I mean, it's telling that she cared more about the dog Aww. than her own self. But back in New York, she went on a blind date with you know who, and they were married a couple years later. Tracy's the vice president of Portrait Project, which connects children across the globe through arts. She also started Muma Cafe, okay. and I guess parents would come in they could have coffee wine and and healthy snacks and then kids could have healthy snacks they had some educational stuff going on in the back room for the kids so it just sounded kind of like a granola-y environment Um, for healthy environment for parents and the kids but then when her kids got older they evolved and she um, turned it into Muma, an online magazine for parents she spent time working at the Bronx Zoo. Oh, wow. Just totally. I, That's really I cool. I really want to go to the Bronx Zoo at some point. She focused on being a mom to her kids. Her son, Nathan, was born in 2004, and Maggie was born in 2006. And I guess, according to the book, they have four dogs, wow. two pigs, <laughs> one hamster, three rabbits, two guinea pigs, one parrot, and two fish. They're all rescues, and I can totally relate to this because... <laughs> Like I showed you when we were on our run today, right. my rescue, Kylo, decided to destroy an ottoman because I had put his toys in there and not realizing that he remembered I put them in there too. He had toys in the other room. Right. But right. while we were gone, he wanted the toys that were in that ottoman. So, yeah, hats off to her for having a huge house of all of this. But Farm Sanctuary has also named two sheep after the Stewarts for all the work that they've done. I love that John Stewart has secured 22 primetime Emmys. Wow. 22. That's awesome. That's he's hosted a couple of Academy Awards. And and his, I mean, he stays humble and his family still comes first. I read several places that he turned down a $50 million a year deal with Netflix in 2017. Wow. Because he just thought it would interfere too much with his family, and his family was a priority right now. Oh, I love that. So refreshing. Yeah. So I just love their dedication both to each other, 
to their kids. They both make each other better. She supported him being a comedian, and he definitely supported her just finding her passion. I just think they set a great example for their children. I love this quote from Jon Stewart. Any fool can blow something up. Any fool can destroy. But to see these guys, these firefighters and these policemen and people from all over the country, literally with buckets rebuilding, that's extraordinary. And that's why we have already won. They can't. It's light. It's democracy. They can't shut that down. My husband told me about this national nonprofit charity, HFC, Hilarity for Charity. It's bringing light to Alzheimer's. It started in 2012 by comedian and actor Seth Rogen and his wife, Lauren Miller Rogen. Hmm. Yeah. Shortly after Rogen met his wife, Lauren, her mother, Adele, was diagnosed at 55 with early onset Alzheimer's. So young. That is young. Alzheimer's is a neurodegenerative disease that starts slowly and progressively worsens. It makes up 60 to 70% of the cases of dementia. I know. The common symptoms are difficulty remembering recent events. As the disease advances, symptoms with language, disorientation, mood swing, and motivation develop. As the person's condition worsens, they often withdraw from family and society. The average age of onset of this disease is 65. I have to say, after my job seeing this, I just, it is one of my biggest fears. Oh, mine too. One of my biggest fears because it, it, for your mind to go. Oh, yeah, it's the worst. And, you know, sadly, currently there is no cure Mm -hmm. treatment. It is one of the most costly diseases for patient care. And over 47 million worldwide are affected, are afflicted with this Mm -hmm. disease. As I spoke in episode 28, my mom had Alzheimer's, and it was horrible watching her decline and slowly say goodbye to her over a 10-year period, Mm. and watching the impacts um, the disease had on my dad trying to care for her. Unfortunately for my dad, he was prepared and had a long-term health care insurance policy that covered the costly care at the memory care facility. Thank goodness. I know. It was really expensive. I think I told you it ranged um, up in Washington, $10,000 a month. Then we moved not her down to Portland. Can, it was six thousand yeah, a month, but we had that we had that health insurance. insurance yeah, that really but not helped. everybody has that. That's, so that's why you, I was telling you about that episode of Hoarders, where the reason they were going in is because the mom had Alzheimer's and right. advanced, and the dad. It was a danger, right? And but I don't think they could afford to put her in a facility. So here she was, this danger at home, and. So not a lot of options for people out there. HFC's mission is to bring awareness to the disease, care for families impacted by the disease, and inspire the next generation of Alzheimer's advocates. Gotta say, I'm surprised this is Seth Rogen. I know. So pleasantly surprised. I know. Pleasantly surprised. I love hearing good things about people like this. I know, and I love this. They this organization launched a brain health dinner series, kind of like a variety show, Mm -hmm. hosted by Seth Rogen and many comedians like Michael Shea. Sarah Silverman and the Muppets. And there was there was many more stand-ups, which is now streaming on Netflix. Mm-hmm. I have to say the show is raunchy, but it's in true spirit of Seth Rogen. Mm-hmm. Seth's wife, Lauren, does a really heartwarming speech about her mom and her decline. And mm-hmm. they really they film the mom too throughout her disease. And it really was hard to watch. It reminded me of my mom. They've raised $13 million. Wow. So far, and have ordered 325,000 hours of in-home care, health care relief to Alzheimer's families, caregivers. That's great. 
I love on the show, they actually show them calling the caregivers. Oh, see? On, over the phone, awarding them the respite care. That would be cry tearjerker right there. They have also organized support groups for caregivers and put funds towards research on brain health. So I love that, mm-hmm. the prevention piece. Their website has tons of great information, ways to get support, brain health prevention, how to donate, take action, even start your own fundraiser. We will have their information um, on our website and the Netflix show on our yeah, I watch on tangentialinspiration.com. If I cannot do great things, I can do small things in a great way. Martin Luther King Jr. Thanks for listening to Tangential Inspiration. We really want to hear from you. Email us your comments or story suggestions at tangentialinspiration at gmail.com or leave a comment on our website, tangentialinspiration.com. Our website has all our podcast episodes, show notes, stories, follow-ups, and links to websites and books we talk about. Like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, and you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great week.